Hi, everybody, and welcome to Your House, Your Home, which is our attempt to make your house look like your home and how to turn it into your home. We're going to be discussing things from actual products to services and anything and anything that will hopefully help you have a better house from your home. All things discussed are the opinions of myself and my guests and my cohorts in crime. And uh, while we do not endorse any products or services, if somebody would like to send us a million dollars to do so, we would be more than happy to have that money. So feel free to send it out. So with that, uh, I want to say hi to uh, my co-hosts of the show. First off, Tracy Wiggins with Alamo Real Pro Inspections. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Oh, I am just loving every minute of it. And uh, Katie. wow, Katie, yeah, I yeah. Was like, what just happened? Katie, what just happened? Yeah, the the lights went out and nobody was home. You better press Kate, the cricket. Kate, yeah, oh, here we go. There we go. I don't know what yeah. just happened there? That's the sound from my brain. <laughs> so, uh, Katie Ross with Remax and. You know, we're, I always love having these two ladies uh, here in the podcast studio with me because uh, not only do they help me with the technical side of stuff, uh, they also have great questions and they have great insight uh, in the home industry. And I'm going to use that as a very general aspect. But both of their companies and what they do are involved with the home. You know, my company, Mr. Appliance, deals with things in the home. And today we've got a guest with us that is, I'm looking forward to talking with him. He is going to be able to help us with understanding how to obtain your home. Uh, our guest today is Andrew Lamakia with Guild Mortgage. Andrew, welcome. Paul, hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, hopefully we are going to, you know, learn a lot about mortgages, uh, the good, the bad, and I'm sure some people would say the ugly. Although right now in today's day, uh, at least here in Texas is more specifically San Antonio, uh, things are actually pretty good in the mortgage industry. Am I mistaken on that? No, not at all. Things are, um, actually very good. We have a lot of activity, um, even from the home purchase standpoint, people are still taking advantage of refinances. So, a lot of activity. We're, we're very blessed and excited to help as many people as we can. Awesome. And uh, Katie is my kind of go-to person on this because Katie's field of expertise is real estate. And real estate and mortgage companies basically go hand in hand unless you're like Tracy who can pay cash for any house that she would want to buy. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, so from, you know, a few hundred thousand to, you know, several million, you just write a personal check for it, as I understand. Well, I just go to my money tree. Oh, okay. I just pick it from there. Uh, you have one of those too? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you water it every day, right? I do. <laughs> All right, well, first off, uh, for someone who is looking to purchase their first home, uh, and maybe I shouldn't even categorize it as their first home. But for someone who's looking to purchase a home, what are some of the basic things that they need to think about uh, before they come to you for the actual loan? Yeah, great question. So the first thing, like what I see a lot from people um, is have a monthly payment in mind. That'll help, um, your, that'll help your mortgage professional 
you know, put together some of the best options for you. So the first is have a monthly amount that you're comfortable with that you're looking to spend up to. This And just because you can do 2000 a month or 3000 a month doesn't mean you have to get a mortgage in that same, uh, at that amount. So ha- come up with that. Come try to think ahead if like this is the house you're going to be at for a while or if you want to if you're going to be moving or maybe you're military and you're going to be PCSing out. So think of the timeline a little bit. And another thing I would definitely recommend is start assembling some people who I would call part of your uh, circle of trust, uh, finding a really good real estate partner to help you with the market, um, identify a couple uh, mortgage options and some other people that can help you uh, get to uh, get to where you want to go. Uh, I'm going to ask a quick question here. Do you like, uh, and the reason that I'm bringing this up is because of my own daughter, which I reference in quite a few of the podcasts because she's kind of my rule of thumb when I'm thinking about things. And so in the case of like a young single person or a married couple that is their first home, mm-hmm. is it your recommendation that they kind of talk to mom and dad or is it your recommendation that, you know, don't talk to mom and dad, talk mm-hmm. to me? Well, I, when I, when I bought my first home, I talked to my dad because he is a realtor. But I think if you have that resource and uh, some good knowledge, I, I don't um, think that's a, a you know bad thing to do. I would definitely encourage to get some feedback um, and then definitely go talk to a mortgage uh, professional. Um, it's no cost, no obligation. They can walk you through uh, the ins and outs and ask you some really good questions that can help uh, obviously help you and uh obviously help the mortgage professional as well. So I, I think you get as help as much help as you can. You don't have to ask 20 people, but I think someone like your parents, yeah, definitely uh, get, you know, talk to them first and uh, or just talk to them at some point and uh, also bring in a mortgage professional as well, obviously. I'll caveat that for you. It depends on how long it's been since your parents have been through the process because oh, things have point. changed yeah. a, lot. a lot. Sometimes point. a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, if your parents haven't done a mortgage in 30, 40 years, they may not be your best resource. Well, and I'll show my ignorance right out of the gate here, and that is uh, I know that my dad was military, and I am not. And so, as I understand it, my dad was eligible for a VA loan, but even though I'm his son, since I was not in the military, that I am not eligible to have a VA loan. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's for the veteran. Yeah, there's some spousal things that you know for your, your, your I guess your mom, um, uh, you know, from there. But now it doesn't uh, matriculate down to you. No. And a question I get asked a lot is, I want to buy. If Paul wanted to buy a house for his daughter, and Paul was the veteran, can he get a VA loan for his daughter? The answer is not unless he's living there. Has to be owner occupied. Correct. correct? Yeah. VA. Their their main thing is they want to get veterans into homes that they're going to live in. So it's not an investment opportunity. It's or anything like that. Um, it is uh, something for a primary residence. And is that a multiple or a one time only thing? In terms of how many times you can use your VA loan? Correct. It's 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 multiple, and you can actually have multiple VA VA loans at one time. A lot of people don't didn't know that, right. but you can uh, you can use really? a VA loan as much as you want. And you can actually have more than one, um, depending um, up to your eligibility. Uh, up to amount. your eligibility amount. So yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of el- eligibility amount, that's one that Pam and I, my wife, uh, we chuckle at. Uh, this has been probably twenty years ago when we were still living in Houston. We were living in a home, and we were out driving around. Saw this one home on some property, and. 
oohed and odd and basically fell in love with this place and we found out the price of it and took a big gulp and you know but then it was kind of like well you know based on a few things we thought well i wonder if we can get a loan for that and so we called up the loan company that we were going to use and you know it was it was as you said earlier ask questions you know it was a great conversation uh and he asked us some information and then information about the house we were looking at and basically the bottom line was is yes you would you would absolutely qualify for that loan and so you know that put a big smile on our face and we thought well you know okay that's cool and then i which a lot of people know me i'm you know i just can't leave well enough alone so i said to the guy i said well you know just you know out of curiosity that kind of came pretty quick that we qualified for that amount you know, what would be the maximum amount that we would qualify for? And, well, hold on here a second. And you could hear him typing on his keyboard or whatever, and he came back. Well, based on what you've told me today, it looks like, you know, you could, you know, purchase a house, you know, probably about, you know, 500000 And Pam and I looked at each other, and we just, you know, hit the floor, and it, it was like there, there would be no way. Now, mind you, this was back before 2008 and some of the other mm-hmm. things that have happened since. But we looked at each other, and we went, you know, and I asked the guy, I said, so is that the peanut butter and jelly plan <laughs> that, you know, peanut butter and jelly and water is all that, you know, my wife and I would eat? And he goes, well, yeah, basically, you know, right. that that's all you would be able to afford to eat because you know the mortgage payment but i i can remember back then the moral of the story was is that sometimes i think you can actually qualify for a loan that is more than what common sense would tell you that you might want to to, you know achieve or take or you know sign the dotted line for yeah absolutely and that's why i encourage people to come up with the monthly payment and again my job as as a as a professional is to you know uh, give you the options and give you the amounts, but I'm not here to get you in a situation where you're not going to feel comfortable. No one wants to, we don't want to see clients and be house poor or not be comfortable with the mortgage they're getting. Uh, Cause I see that. I see the stress on people when you, sometimes when you show them the, the, the numbers. So I think it's imperative to understand that just because a client can get approved for a certain amount, doesn't mean they should get a loan at that amount because they're going to want disposable income. Maybe they want to do, um, you know, fix her up, you know, dig some furniture or fix up the place a little bit. Travel, travel. Go out to eat. I mean, do all yeah, those nice eat. things. So <laughs> I for food with my meals. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I've encouraged people to spend less than what they can get approved for. Maybe they're, um, you know, in a industry that's uh, having a really good year or, or something in the income. And I was like, Hey, look, be a little more conservative. You don't have to go this high. Um, I, I would say that would be, you know, excellent, excellent uh, advice uh, for people. Hopefully they'll listen. So, Andrew, I have a question for yeah. you. Do you think it's better to find an agent and go out house hunting first, or do you think it's better to go ahead and get pre-approval before you go out? I know, looking? I know. <laughs> I know you know. I'm asking him. I, I think the most effective way um, is to get pre-approved first. Go through that exercise because that way you'll know your numbers a little bit. That way you'll know, hey, I know a house at 300000 is going to be X amount per month. And when you go talk to a realtor – you're going, to, you're going to save time. You're going to make the process a lot easier, and you're not going to be chasing homes that you shouldn't be into or, or something like that. You'll make the, the realtor's job a lot easier knowing um, you know, the, the range 
and how the numbers are going to look. And there's no surprises at the end or during the process. And you have to start all the way over or something like that. So I would encourage people to go through the exercise first. Like I said, it's, it's no cost, no obligation. So go through that exercise, see how the numbers shake out. And they're not going to be the final end-all, be-all numbers, but they're going to be pretty close. And you can take that information to your realtor, say, we've done some due diligence. This is what we qualify for. This is what we're comfortable, uh, you know, uh, this is what we're comfortable with. So help us find a house. And that way that gives a realtor a lot of time and save a lot of time as well to go get you, uh, find a house that you want to get. That's my opinion. Is there a time limit on that? Like if, if you're pre-approved for that, is it like you only have 40 days to use? I know on our letter it says 60 days, but, um, you know, we put that in there because someone's debt structure might change within, you know, month to month or within 60 days. Maybe they go buy a house or I'm sorry, maybe go buy a car or a boat, or maybe they get a credit card and want to buy, you know, a cruise on it or something. So something major like that. So, you know, there, there's some flexibility there. We put a timeline just because someone's debt structure might change month to month. I've had it happen during the loan process. So, And I'll add that, in my opinion, getting pre-approved up front takes some of the stress off the buyer because the buyer's not looking for houses that are outside of their price range and expecting them to fit inside their price range. So they're not comparing what they do qualify for to homes that are higher priced that they aren't comfortable with. And expecting it mm-hmm. to come down because our market right now is very much a seller's yep. market mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and getting sellers to negotiate is a very difficult thing. So staying within your budget, within your comfort zone is highly important. So are, is your budget the driving factor? And please remember, I know nothing here. <laughs> is the budget the driving factor on whether you would tell someone to get a 30-year uh, note or a 15 year note or a 10 year note? Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, a, that's a factor. Um, and probably the main factor. Yeah. I mean, cause we, we evaluate four main things. So we're going to evaluate a person's credit. We're going to evaluate their income. We're going to evaluate their assets. And what do you think the fourth one is, Paul? Their income. Nope. Already said it. Already said that. And the property. So we're going to evaluate all four Oh, the, uh, the, the, the actual the, home. Right. The, the actual the, home. Okay. got to make sure it's going to... Uh, like through an appraisal through an process. an appraisal or it's going to meet, you know, whether it's a condo, maybe it's multifamily, duplex, triplex, single family, townhome. Got so the, we, we look at that type as well. Um, but yeah, I think the, the the question was, you know, the debt to, you know, your income, your, your budget. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, also, your credit. Um, it, it really depends on the client. Sometimes... Someone's cre- credit is, you know, really good credit. There's not many issues, and we have to come. We have an income. That's gonna be the main part uh, that they're the driving force. It, re- it really depends client to client in, in the situation. But I, uh, from what I see, it's usually the uh, the budget. It's um, so be the main thing. So right now, you're you're writing more thirty year notes than you are fifteen year or ten year notes. Yes, um, since COVID hit, the the, the fifteen year rates aren't as much better than the thirty. I mean, they're lower. But they're not as good as they were because that poses a uh, an increase in payment, right? So mm-hmm. now people's payments are higher on a fifteen year, and with COVID hitting people, work you know the the job stuff, whether it's unemployment or just taking taking less. So the fifteen years aren't as desirable from our investors offer super lower rates than thirty years. So I like the thirty year um, plan. I don't. I haven't done a ton of fifteens. I do them depending on the client. But what I like to coach people is. Let's get the 30-year mortgage. Do the 30-year mortgage. You have the lower payment. Now, hey, if you want to pay it off sooner, if you want to make more payments towards principal and reduce the interest over time, I can give you what the 15-year payment would be. 
So they make that 15-year payment month to month. And oops, like we talked about another podcast, Murphy happens, right? <laughs> and you need to scale back a little bit. Hey, you need an extra $800 for some reason. So instead of being legally obligated to a 15-year note, you can still go back to the 30-year payment. So I encourage people in the most part to do a 30-year mortgage. If you want to pay it off sooner, that's great. Pay more to principal every month. You will eventually pay it off sooner and save an interest, but you're not legally obligated to, to, to do that. And I'll throw out there that prepayment penalties can be included in mortgages. So make sure when you are talking to your loan originator, if it's not Andrew, that you are having that conversation to make sure that there's not a penalty to pay sooner. Pay it off sooner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So out there, uh, I guess one of the questions that I've always wondered about mortgage companies is where does the money come from? So in your case, I would assume that there's a Mr. Guild somewhere and he's from got the money tree. Yeah. For, you know, there's he's got, you know, in my yeah, backyard, $60 billion mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, I mean, uh, it, d- in your particular case, Andrew, with your mortgage company, it, are y'all actually funding the, or, or are you kind of a, a facilitator of getting the note for the client? So basically, it gets into it can get kind of complicated at this point. It gets what we call into the secondary uh, market, right? So what we do, y'all are familiar with mortgage-backed securities, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what we call, I call institutional investors buy large batches of these mortgages and so they and they dictate uh how much they pay us so they're so we play with the rates and they say that we'll pay you this amount for this type of loan so 15 year or 30 an fha a conventional a va all sorts of flavors i mean so then what they do is they take a pool and they sell it on the secondary market we get money and we keep lending so we don't have we don't hold on to that note for 30 years and makes interest or make money over 30 years, people paying their mortgage back, we buy it and sell it at a profit, and we just keep that process going. That's what keeps the market and keeps it lenders being able to make loans. It just keeps continuing. Some banks, some institutional investors will keep it on their books for 30 years. Um, but most in the, what I call the retail lending space, um, they're bought and sold on the secondary market, which clients really don't have much uh, visibility to or really need to. It's just, it happens at... Totally different level, way above my pay grade. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, but okay. that's how we make our money: is we buy and sell the mortgages that meet certain requirements, and then we uh, make the yield on it, and then we just keep going from there. And that was a lot of what happened in two thousand eight. That's where the breakdown came. Was when they were buying and selling mortgages on the secondary market. The primary mortgages, when they were originated, weren't necessarily. Um, they, I mean, you had a lot of adjustable rate mortgages. Right. You had so people, they, were, they weren't necessarily good mortgages no. in the first place. They yeah. were very risky mortgages, and they were selling them on the secondary market as yeah. AAA, like very secure mortgages, and that was not the case. It was the peanut butter and jelly, it you was. know, and they were saying that this is a really, really good And it was mortgage. saying that this is a steak dinner buyer yeah. that bought this mortgage, and they're actually a peanut butter and jelly buyer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. no didn't verify income. They had right. very bad credit. They didn't verify a lot of stuff. So. They did a lot of stated income stated loans income, where they yeah. could just tell you, hey, I make X number of dollars a year, and that's what they believed. Nobody checked it. Correct. Nope. Okay. Right. okay. Um, Andrew, let's talk about loan requirements for condominiums. So that's kind of a beast of its own. Yep. So go ahead and uh, it's tell different? us some differences. It's very different. Condos are a little different, and uh, being in San Antonio, I haven't done a ton of condos, but the first thing is, like, what is a condo, right? Is it a fixture of 
you know, multiple people living in an area. So as a lender, one of the main things that lenders are going to look at is how many people um, own the, how many people in that development um, own a condo in there as a primary residence. That's pretty much the main, uh, the driving factor, right? Because if you start having people in there as an investment property or something like that, and they're renting it out, it's just seen as higher risk. So that's a little tougher to work with. Um, and we look at, we underwrite the condo, uh, the property, and they, we look at the HOA, we look at the financials, we make sure the HOA is uh, solvent, we make sure they're, they're not, there's no lawsuits, uh, make sure their insurance coverage is up to date. Condos are a different beast. Now, they're not too, too scary, um, but they can be a different, they can be a lot different than a primary residence. And especially when you get into the govy loans, what I call right. the govy loans, the VA, FHA type loans. They just, um, they have to get approved by that institution. So we were a preferred lender for a condo development here, story built, I encourage y'all to check it out. Um, that had to, you know, it's right by Fort Sam. So obviously there'd be a big market for uh, veterans in the military, right? So we had to get that underwritten by VA and they have all these guidelines and we had to send them all their legal docs. We had to send uh, the VA. We had to send them legal docs. We had to send them um, the terms and conditions of the HOA, uh, the covenants. Right. Blanking on the word, the covenants. And we had to send them a breakdown of how many people live there, was it their primary residence, so on and so forth. And then we had to see how far it was completed because it is a new build. Uh, it's their newer building. So some phases are more complete than others. So they look at all that and make sure it's, uh, that VA is happy with it, meaning they're going to let their VA loan be for that uh, because it, some of this stuff can pose as higher risk. So. so what they're also looking at is the veteran or buyer, no matter who it is, only owns the four walls and what's inside. And so by lending on that project, you are becoming a member of that project overall. So you're becoming a member of owning the buildings, the roofs, the common, common maintenance, areas, the, common areas, yeah. right, the pools, the workout mm-hmm. rooms, whatever it is that's included in that entire complex, the VA is saying, I'm confident that those areas are going to be maintained. They're going to be not a liability for us. So it's a it's a bigger picture when it's a condominium. Especially in the coastal properties. Yes. We've got down in Corpus and Port A, as you know, you know, dealing with uh, the weather and wind and hail and insurance. It's a, it's a little different. Is that well. the same as like a townhome then when you do condo it's and slightly different, it different beast, slightly different. So okay. con- uh, townhomes, you actually own the four walls and you can, depending on the p- complex, own the land underneath it on condominiums. You yeah. do not own any land. Yeah, Ta- Townhomes oh. are seen as the same as single family residence. Right. So a lot of it is imperative on us to go, you know, through the tax records, through the title work to make sure how it's deeded and how it's plotted. Uh, it can get a little confusing sometimes when they say so-and-so condominiums, but they're actually townhomes or vice versa. When they say, oh, so-and-so townhomes, well, it's actually a condo. It's plotted as a condo. So we right. have to treat it and underwrite as a condo. So as in, in the lending world, we have some, you know, the rates are a tad higher because they're a tad riskier, right. a tad more riskier. So And likewise, you can have condominiums that are freestanding, so they don't mm-hmm. have to be attached to somebody else mm-hmm. and can still be considered condominiums because mm-hmm. of the way that they were originally deeded and created. So just because you see a freestanding structure doesn't mean that it is a hundred percent single family residence. Paul, you're looking as perplexed as I am right now. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking, so, (laughs) so kind of move this around to a home. Mm -hmm. Do HOA POAs come into play with mortgages the same way that, uh, the developer is with a condo because you don't own the land. 
you know, I mean, do they have any say in whether you do or don't get a mortgage? No, we just, uh, when it comes to like a single family residence, we just make sure people budget with the HOA monthly payment uh, included in there. And there will be a rider to mm -hmm. the deed of trust saying that you are in a planned unit development and that you don't have the option of not paying those dues. They are mandatory. And in Texas, at least, you can be foreclosed on by your HOA. Yeah, they have a lot of power in the state. I'm on, I'm on our HOA, so we um, they have a lot of power in the state. If you do, if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I've heard a lot of uh, bad things uh, yeah. about the power of the HOAs. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I'm sure there's good it cuts and both bad. Ways. It like, can. Yeah, yeah, it it can go yeah. both ways or whatever. So. Uh, based on what you said, you were talking about the different types of loans. So how does, uh, and here again, I'll go back to a first time home buyer, either a single person or a new couple, what determines which type of loan they get? Yeah, that's a great question. So it really starts with the application, right? I want to know as much as I can about them regarding, you know, where they, where they currently live, their, um, where they're employed, how they're paid. Uh, Because that makes a difference. And then we also take a look at their credit report. We verify their debts. We verify their credit history to make sure they're credit worthy. We look at their score, obviously. We also look at their assets, like how much money can they uh, put down? How can they cover the closing costs and make sure the assets they have will qualify for us to use? So as a loan officer, we... We really just go through the application process and pull credit, and that allows me to see which loan program they're going to qualify best for. Some, sometimes it's process of elimination, and sometimes it's depending on what, what shows in the credit report. Sometimes they might have multiple options, or sometimes they may have one, and any, anywhere in between there. Okay, well, I'm going to take the what if to one yeah. more level. Let, let's just say you've got a you know a late 20-year-old person mm-hmm. that's coming out of the military mm-hmm. uh, after six years, and they want to buy their first home. Mm-hmm. So w- would you steer them or or would they qualify for the VA loan? Uh, or would you say, you know, no, that's not the best vehicle for you and your age and, you know, what's going on? I would now? definitely start with the VA, uh, the VA loan. We get their COE, Certificate of Eligibility. Um, and so we'd start there. I, I like the VA loan a lot. It makes usually in my experience, it makes the most sense for most buyers who have that, uh, benefit, um, for a couple of reasons that, you know, the credit scores are less, uh, stringent. L- little, they're less stringent. The debt to income are a lot less stringent. Um, there's no mortgage insurance. Um, and you also have the option of zero down. So that's a, those are all big pluses. So that's the first route I'll take them, um, you know, for uh, a VA. If they have that entitlement, or if, I'm sorry, if they have that benefit, I'll definitely look at it once in a while. It may not be the best fit, um, depending on a couple of things. I'll give you an example. Um, let's just say they have, um, well, one of the things of VA loan, it's called uh, the funding fee. So that is a certain percentage of the loan that's rolled back into it. And so if you've used it your first time, it's like 2.6% rolled back into the loan. So you kind of lose some equity right off the bat because you're rolling funds back into the loan by virtue of using your VA loan. Does that make sense so far? Yep. Okay. And so if you so subsequent use is three point rent, they've raised it three point six percent. So that can get if you're buying a big house, you know, three four hundred thousand dollar house, and you have to roll in three point six percent, that can be a might significant be, amount that, of money. That's a that can be a significant amount of money. So that is if you want to use your you know the zero down. Right, you get hit with that fee. Now, if you put a five percent down payment, that falls to one point five percent. 
uh, rolled back in. And then if you put 10% or more, it rolls to 1.25%. Okay. And I know that you're not a financial advisor per se, and so maybe this isn't the question for you, but uh, let's go back to that same, you know, 28-year-old that's uh, getting out of the military after six years, and let's just say that uh, grandma just passed away and left $100,000 to that uh, grand grandchild. Uh, and so there, there they are, they're, you know, 26, 27 years old. They're just getting out of the military mm-hmm. and they've got a hundred grand, you know, sitting in a savings account or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, would that be a good use of the money to use that money towards purchasing the home? Or is it better off that, uh, you know, that we, you could use that, you know, in some other fashion other than buying a house? Well, that's a good question. I, th- I think it depends a lot on the individual and kind of where they are in life and what their life circumstances are. I think home ownership is great. I think it offers a lot of freedom and um, it's it's a great part of the you know American way of life, right? To own to own a home and you know depending on your lifestyle. Yeah. Now, someone travels all the time and is not going to be at their home a lot. And I, I have buddies who used to travel Monday through Thursday um, on the road. All you know, so may not you know buying a home at right that point though, right at that point in their life may not. You know, make the most sense. But for the most part, I think owning some real estate, owning a primary residence, you don't want to, you know, we've done all, we have all sorts of calculators, like paying, you know, a mortgage versus paying rent. And a lot of time, a lot of the times, not every time, a lot of the times uh, purchasing makes more sense than renting. So we'll, I'll go through that exercise with them, but they have some money like that. I, I, I would encourage to buy a home that fits within easily within their budget. Um, and then obviously use the, you know, some of that to maybe make some investments um, or just save it. You know, having cash is still a good thing to have. So I think a lot of it will just depend on the client sitting in front of me and kind of what their goals are. Um, and their you know, time frame. And their time frame. So if they're only going to be in San Antonio for a year or two, it may not make sense to mm-hmm. buy a house right now. It, you know, just depends. Yeah. So if they want to keep it as part of their future retirement portfolio and keep it as a rent house, then the cheapest way to get into investing in real estate is to be owner-occupied. So it yeah. would make sense if that was their goal. But you have to have that conversation yeah. with them and find out what their future plans are. Yeah. And I think that the, the coolest part about what I do is everyone's different. Everyone's uh, everyone's like a – everyone's situation is different. And what makes sense for some people may not make sense for most. So my, my goal is to put the pieces, you know, the puzzle together and try to do my best to give them the best advice I can, at least in, in, as a you know, – trying to – at least as it uh, pertains to a mortgage. So, Andrew, okay. I think there's a uh, fallacy in the market of people who believe that you can only buy a house with 20% down. Yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the most common ones I hear, and that is not, that's not the case. You can actually get in, as we talked about, uh, on a VA loan, 0% down. Um, USDA also has no, um, and that's more based on the property and kind of where it's located if it qualifies, but so that's 0% down. Um, and then from there it goes to 3% on conventional, depending on some factors. And then you have AFHA at minimum three and a half percent. So there's a wide spectrum of down payment options. You don't, you definitely don't have to have 20%. In fact, late, the latest stats I saw that two thirds of the transactions out there, people have not put 20% down. So there's a lot of options out there uh, for people um, in terms of down payment. You can actually get into a house probably a lot easier than people think. 
I remember when I brought my first home, we had to put the 20% down or we were going to have that mortgage, mortgage insurance. insurance. Yeah. And then the payment mm-hmm. was so much higher mm-hmm. than taking the money out of our investments. So what are, yeah. what are your thoughts? I'm just curious. No, uh, mortgage insurance is one of those things that doesn't get talked about a lot. I don't know why, because it's a fascinating, fun subject. <laughs> just kidding. But <laughs> it's, it's one There's of those, those things. <laughs> yeah. It's well. one of those things that, as I do as a loan officer, is... Mortgage insurance is one of the, those things that can make or break your deal or really add something to the transaction that people haven't seen before. So obviously, as you know, any loan that has less than 20% down, you'll have some component of mortgage insurance. So, And that's based on a couple of factors. It's based on, first of all, how much you're financing, right? That makes sense. Uh, depends how much your down payment actually is. So if your down payment's 3%, yeah, your mortgage insurance is going to be a lot more than it is if you put 15% down. It's also based on your credit score. So if you have a 640 credit or maybe a 660 credit, maybe in doing conventional, um, it's going to be higher than someone has a 760. It just is. In some cases, a lot higher. Um, and how many borrowers are on the deal? So if you have two, you know, a couple, that's seen as less risk. So you get lower mortgage insurance that way. And again, on the property, um, condo versus duplex, triplex, single family, those are all a little different. Um, and the other, oh gosh, there's another one. My mind's mm-hmm. slipping. Um so there's a lot of factors that, that can um, uh, affect the mortgage insurance. You have uh, said it several times, and I think this, I, I want you to comment on this for especially the younger listeners out there, mm-hmm. credit score. Yeah. Credit score, one. credit score, credit score. Uh, yeah. How, how You say it's a big one. Explain why it's a big one. So credit is this, you know, our ability to see if you're going to make your payment on time and how eligible you are to, to be lent money. So we, so scores are obviously very important because that really dictates your rate and some of your programs. Uh, I also encourage people to look at your credit history. Don't just get hung up on the score. We also look at your credit history. So I have clients come to me and say, I have a 620. I had the minimum credit score that I need for this program. I'm good to go, right? And I'll see actually in their credit, they have something actually very recent it was a scene as very derogatory. Maybe it's a 60 day late payment on a car or something like that. That's a big red flag and usually a showstopper or they have some collections that came up or maybe they show someone's behind on child support. So something, so don't get hung up just on the score. You also want to keep in track your credit history and keep making payments. We like to see at least 12 months of clean credit. No, no, no 30 day lates or anything like that, especially on installment deals. Those are car loans, other mortgages, uh, personal loans, things like that. Those are some things that to, to factor in. So another a good resource for some people, um, everyone's entitled to a free credit report. You can go to annualcreditreport.com, and you can get access to your actual reports. Now, they're not going to give you the score. You're going to need to pay for that. But you can actually get your full credit report. And a lot of people actually have access to an estimate of their score through Credit Karma, their bank. Those are decent resources, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the mortgage world, we, we actually pull a different type of score. It's based on a different formula. So, so because Credit Karma says you have a 740, um, if we pull the mortgage score, this is, and, and that's different, you know, the, you know, an auto score, if you go buy a car, it's a different formula. And, you know, student loan, that's a different formula. Home insurance, well, a different formula. So it's different credit formulas. I tell people all the time that, you know, my wife is who got going with uh, our daughter Amanda early on and early on. She was 16, 17, I think, when Pam arranged for her to get her first credit card Mm -hmm. and had some very long kind of drawn out conversations 
uh, over the course of the first few months of her having that credit card is like, okay, we're going to get you a card. You're going to charge something on it. But then as mm-hmm. soon as the bill gets here, yeah. uh, we're going to show you how to pay it and why you want to pay it. And that, you know, the, and that why, why you want to pay it, why you want to pay it in full, why you don't want, don't want anything carrying over. And I know it, life happens and things and people use their credit cards, but credit debt can get away from people very quickly. And mm-hmm. so here all these years later now, you know, I'm very proud of our daughter and, and the credit score that she has and her ability to stand on her own, uh, you know, from a credit standpoint of buying a house, uh, you know, and, and I feel that, uh, sometimes college kids, even high school kids don't learn that. I don't know why it isn't taught in some sort of a class in high school or something, uh, that they, you know, they go off to college and even now we still get stuff in Amanda's <laughs> name at the house. Yeah. Here's a credit card, you know, sign up for this credit card, get a credit card. They just send them out by the hundreds and thousands. You can get and them on your way to class. I remember going I to class. I got a free t-shirt for yeah. my first credit card. A free t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. they, yeah. They sign up for them, and mm-hmm. when that one's full, they and they, they can't spend any more on that one. They just get another one, right? And they don't think they go, oh, you know, I'll I don't, pay it later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, no big deal. So I think important to talk about right now in the credit world is the impact that COVID has had, yeah. and a number of people have claimed forbearance mm-hmm. on their current mm-hmm. mortgage. How does that affect? Uh, your credit history? How does that affect you being able to get a mortgage? Yeah, that's a great question. And we've seen um, this change a little bit as when COVID first hit until now, because we had to keep up with the guidelines. And, you know, you all remember how fast things happened, right? With COVID and all these rules coming out. So the mortgage world, obviously we had, we were affected too. Um, so typically, you know, when we pull a credit report, we're going to, it's going to stay on there. Like if you have a mortgage and if you've gone into deferment. So luckily I haven't, seen as many borrowers I thought be impacted by this. Now we've, we've obviously seen borrowers take advantage of that. And, but for, to us, if you're trying to buy or refinance and you took forbearance at the time, it was seen as very negatively. It was seen like, Oh, they took forbearance. They're in trouble. We're not touching this one for a year. Well, the, the investors gave us new guidelines and said, look, if they took it, they have to wait at least 90 days or see three subsequent payments made before we can, uh, ignore, you know, and it has to be out of forbearance. Has to be yeah. out of forbearance, or if someone took two months of it and then they paid it all back at once to get it record to get it up to date, we could work with that too. So that was seen. That was that that helped a lot because for the first three four weeks, and we, we were seeing that on people's credit reports. That was a that was a showstopper in most right. cases. So, and a lot of times it wasn't even to the fault of the borrower. They had the mortgage companies did that proactively. Whoever was servicing their mortgage did that proactively. They put it on their credit report or said they were already in deferment when they weren't. So it caused a little bit of trouble for us to go back and double check. So, and I also um, heard that <clears throat> if you called in and asked about forbearance, yeah, they put it on there. They just immediately yeah. put it on there so, just if you had the questions and mm-hmm. you wanted questions answered. So wow. I would encourage people who may have, may have had that conversation mm-hmm. with their mortgage company to go yeah, back go and check and get it in writing. Report. That's another, it's a good point is to get it in writing, get whatever, say that this, this client did not request forbearance and never in forbearance. And if they're looking to buy a house or refinance, they show that, show that to us in writing that we can work with that instead of having to go off their credit report and wait for Wells Fargo or freedom mortgage to update it or send us an update. So that's a good, uh, it's a good point is to definitely, uh, communicate that or reach out if you think you might have had that, uh, happen to you. And really quick, I just want to go back to the 
mortgage insurance thing that you asked about because you actually had a really good question. So again, mortgage insurance is affected by a lot of different factors. And if you do the math, I showed a client yesterday who was actually dead set on putting 20% down. And I said, okay, why is that? And I go, well, we don't want to pay mortgage insurance. I go, okay. So they have really have excellent credit scores, um, both of them. They weren't financing that much. It's maybe 250. Um, now, I did, a, I did a couple scenarios where if you put 15% down, their mortgage insurance per month is like 30 bucks. So they had about seven, $8,000 more in their pocket at, um, versus paying $30 a month. That wasn't a big deal to them. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was an option. And then I showed them another option, whereas, hey, like if you really don't want it on the monthly payment, you could do what we call upfront mortgage insurance. And you get a big discount for that. So in that scenario, it was like $900. We rolled it in as an extra closing cost. But remember, they were already wanting to put 20% down. So if I scaled it back to 15% down and only up their fee by 1000 bucks, they had like six or six or seven grand, actually more, I think, in their pocket. So they could use for to buy furniture or just to have cash on hand and then have to pay 20% to get mortgage insurance. So there's some options out there to work with the mortgage That's insurance. A great so point. it's always not, there's not a set fee. It's a lot of factors. So if you have a, a lot of positives in your, in your favor, it might make sense to look at just, you know, a low mortgage insurance option or just paying it up front um, or just putting even 10% down. And of course the numbers would go up, but maybe not as much as you think. And someone can be like, I don't mind an extra 50 bucks a month going to mortgage. If that means I can have $20,000 cash now instead of paying $40,000 cash, I can, I can work with that monthly payment and I'd rather have $20,000 cash now. So I, I think that's, I think that's a great example of what seems to be coming a kind of a cornerstone to our podcast. When we talk to the different people in the different industries, it is worth the money to pay and to deal with a professional so that you're getting all of the different options of what you can do with your house, what you can do with your money, and what is the best way to invest it, what's the best mm-hmm. way to spend it, what's the best way to you know utilize the money yeah. in your home to get the most out of it. And so, I mean, uh, great, great advice, Andrew. Again, uh, this is Andrew Lamacchia with Guild Mortgage. Andrew, you want to give them your contact information? Yeah, absolutely. So my phone number is uh, 210-854-7354. Uh, feel free to text or shoot, uh, give me a call. Love to talk with you. Um, you can also go to my website at closedwithdrew.com. Um, it has a link to my website, has all my contact information over there and a link to my personal page. So you can get some mortgage resources as well. What's um, the, what, what's the address again? Closedwithdrew.com. And it also has a link to apply in case mm-hmm. you need a mortgage. It has a link to apply. It has my email address on there. I have a long last name. Sometimes people don't get it accurately and they say, why didn't you get my email? And I'm like, oh, I have two C's and an H here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's not S-M-I-T-H. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Well, again, thanks to Andrew today for coming and talking with us. Uh, it has been very educational from my standpoint. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot. And I know a lot more now. And, uh, you know, that's what it's all about is learning how to educate yourself so that you are uh, knowledgeable about how to turn your house into your home. So with that, ladies, thank you very much, Tracy. And uh, what's your name again? Oh, I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, again, if you all want to contact us, we do have an email address. It's the number four, yourhouseyourhome at gmail.com. 
again for your house your home at gmail.com so on uh, behalf of tracy and katie and andrew this is paul and thanks for listening thanks paul thanks paul Thank <laughs> you.